0: Hello and welcome to the 2019 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Laminato and this is Round 7, the Canadian Grand Prix. Sebastian Vettel took the chequered flag, but in the season's hottest topic to date, lost the race to Lewis Hamilton after copping a five second time penalty. Was it fair? Was it racing? And what about all the other things that happened in this otherwise interesting Grand Prix? To help analyse the incident and so much more from the Canadian Grand Prix, I'm joined by Ted Kravitz from Sky Sports F1 and F1 TV. Ted, how are you doing? Hello,
1: Michael. Yeah, not bad, thank you. Um, just off the plane uh, this morning, back from from Montreal. Um, spent some parts of the day napping uh, <laughs> because, of course, with the winds, it's always uh, it's always quicker coming back. It's five and a half, six hours from from Montreal to the UK. But uh, I came via Ottawa, which uh, I found out was um, well, I kind of knew, but I found out it was uh, was Canada's. Capital city. It's got a surprisingly small airport for a capital city of Canada. But there you go. It's probably well, it's probably like Australia, you know. It's Canberra. It's, like mm. it's some random city. Uh, they choose <laughs> to have it as, uh, as, as your capital. I don't really know why that is. Maybe something involving, you know, tax break or something. Well, why is Canberra <laughs> capital city and not Sydney or Melbourne, by the way?
0: It's because it's between Sydney and Melbourne. Because the rivalry is so vicious that they could not possibly stomach the idea of a capital being in one right. of the other cities. So they made one up. Unfortunately, it's much closer to Sydney than it is to Melbourne, though. So many people still live in Sydney. I didn't know that fact about Ottawa, though, (laughs) about Canada. Shows how much I know. I really should go to the Canadian Grand Prix sometime. Uh, An interesting race. We'll get, of course, to the main topic uh, in a moment. But to set this one up... This was, for the first opportunity really since Bahrain, and we could also talk about Azerbaijan, but we know why that went wrong for Ferrari, but let's say since Bahrain. uh, The Ferrari appeared to have an opportunity to deliver that potential we thought they had in the pre-season. From practice, they looked quick. That turned out to be the case in qualifying as well. But I suppose we should caution here that this might not really be the Ferrari revival that Ferrari fans might be expecting, aside from the fact they didn't win the race. But this was very much more of a a fact being a Ferrari circuit than anything else.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you're right. And we shouldn't call it, you know, it's hardly a revival when they're only going to work on, you know, five or Mm. four or five circuits throughout the season. That being, you know, long straights and uh, where you need uh, a really, really strong engine and then small corners, you know, slow speed corners where you don't really need such great aero. So Bahrain was one of them. Baku was the other one. Canada's one of them. And then arguably, well, Silverstone, no, that's got some slow corners, high, you know, different mix of uh, of corners. And then Monza is going to be the last one. So it's not really a kind of car that's going to win you a championship. And let's face it, they're probably not going to win the championship. So, you know, it, it is a bit disappointing that, um, you know, the, the, they're not, they haven't been converted. They haven't been able to convert on what we thought was their good speed in barcelona testing turned out not to be at all and the mercedes were just sorting themselves out and came and absolutely blitzed everybody but you know it's, a, it's it's a much better mercedes than it was um really last year because they've got the compromise right you know i think they've well toto said to me toto wolf said to me on the weekend you know before we always went for for a strong engine and 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 low drag and 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 we changed the balance this year The mercedes changed the balance this year and decided you know, maybe they'll take a bit of drag to be to be quick through some slow corners as well, and it's really worked for them. It's 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 such a dominant car, um, and that will lead us on to you know what I like to refer to as the incident uh, <laughs> at the Canadian Grand Prix, um, and you know what a nonsense the whole thing really was in that respect. Um, that uh, you know Mercedes is the dominant car, and you know, let's be honest, they're going to win. Both championships, unless something really, really weird happens. So that kind of puts a bigger picture onto the uh, uh, factor onto the whole thing for me.
0: Mm. Well, I, I, strangely enough, I think that might be the first time on this program it's been openly admitted. We've been talking about it perhaps in hushed tones, but. Yeah, I think we can say they're probably going to win the championships. We'll talk about Valtteri Potas later on. Hopefully that'll something will happen there. Just to touch on that, that balance that Mercedes has found with this car, this was also the round they brought their first engine upgrade. Ferrari also brought some updates to this round after bringing their Spec 2 engine to Barcelona a couple of rounds ago. And essentially a month earlier than planned and interesting to note and of course there's more to straight line speed than just engine performance drag levels of course play a role in this direct comparison between Mercedes and Ferrari but it was really interesting to see the qualifying uh comparison between Hamilton and Vettel for example that Mercedes was losing so much in a relative sense. They're talking about in the realm of more than half a second, 0.6 seconds uh, down that long back straight. And that was enough to swing the difference and deliver Sebastian Vettel pole.
1: Yeah, when we get to a circuit where, you know, you're blessed with, or Ferrari were blessed with that that, that long back straight, um, for the engine and the power unit, you know, and the ERS to to, to just pull and pull and keep on going... And I think it's true, you know. Mercedes still don't really know how Ferrari are doing this because Mm -hmm. is it converting the energy from the H from the MGUH, the turbine that runs off the turbo? Is it that that's more efficient? They think it must be because that's unlimited in in the terms of the amount of energy that you can harvest is unlimited through the MGUH. So they must Ferrari must be finding a way to pump like crazy energy from that turbo into the mg uk that's the turbine the 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 motor that runs straight into the engine and take all that energy and kick it right into the engine through the mg uk and boost that car down the straight and it's something ferrari can do they have found a way to do it and mercedes still don't know so you know that was the benefit that the ferrari had Um, In Canada. And he said, yeah, that's where it all started. All started in qualifying. That Vettel did, you know, the lap he needed to do. Leclerc uh, disappointed somewhat. Bottas disappointed very much Mm -hmm. with a spin. But it was Hamilton who, with one of his typically good Lewis laps, as uh, Nicky Lauder and Toto Wolff would record it, um, got in there and uh, managed to get on the front row. And how crucial was that to the race and the incident as I refer to it once again, uh, that happened later on.
0: Well, exactly. This set up the incident. Well, the start, Hamilton got away cleanly from the start despite having some some pre-race concerns, some uh, hydraulic leak in the garage, and then they had to bleed the brakes on the grid and even a, an anti-stall problem when he, he got away for the formation lap. But he started fine, chased Vettel for the first stint, wasn't able to overcut him, as was the the thinking if you're going to switch from the medium to the hards as they did, because of course they used the mediums in Q2. But on the hard tyre, Mercedes seemed to find that pace. And now it started to feel almost like it was going to be inevitable that we might see Lewis Hamilton launching a move on Sebastian Vettel. Couldn't get close down that straight, as we said, because the Ferrari just had such prodigious straight line speed. But We got to lap 49, about 10 laps after Hamilton really closed down that gap and started challenging, Uh, and we reached that incident at turns three and four where Vettel cut across the grass into turn four after having a bit of a snap of oversteer, Uh, and I I guess we should say, and maybe this is where we need to start using uh, the language Sebastian Vettel does not like, start using couched legal terms, but almost hit Lewis Hamilton, I suppose we should say, and... And the stewards eventually judged that to be a penalty. Before we sort of consider, uh, you know, why this happened, how this happened, should it have happened? What was your take on that incident? This is the hot topic of the, probably the next fortnight, I suppose. Yeah,
1: I mean, we should start, you know, um, well, first of all, I should start by saying uh, when I'm going to refer to the incident and my personal feelings about it. I am just talking as, you know, a personal, uh, Mm. Ted Kravitz, uh, personal Formula One fan, not... Ted Kravitz, you know, reporter for Sky Sports or F1 TV or anything like that, okay? So, I'm not talking in my... I'm talking very much from a personal point of view. So, disclaimer time, uh, first of all. Um, Second of all, you know, we should bear in mind, of course, um, that Hamilton, because he was so quick, well, no, rather, it's impressive that he was so quick on that hard tie, given that he didn't do any Mm. long runs, ...on it on Friday... ...because he put his car into the wall... ...so that was the first thing that really surprised me... ...I kind of expected... Hamilton not to have such great race pace because he hadn't had that Friday practice. So um, all credit to Lewis for actually being able to, you know, to to to, to throw off that uh, deficit that most people believe. Um, if you don't actually get the chance to do your homework on the tires, Bottas, of course, had the homework done and they knew that the hard tire would be a good one for them. Um, but uh, that was the first thing I thought was uh, was impressive. And then we got to the fact that you know he was he was threatening Vettel and Vettel. Uh, by the evidence of Friday, wasn't as quick on the long runs as Mercedes. And that's exactly the way it turned out. He was a bit struggling. And the crucial thing is that Vettel was having to save fuel. So that was the cryptic radio message from uh, Ricardo Adami, um Vettel's engineer, to him on the radio. He says, do you remember? He said, the numbers on your dash are correct. Take appropriate action. We speculated it might have been brake temperatures or... Or fuel numbers. In it was fuel numbers. Um, Vettel explained it that uh, he thought that they they weren't ostensibly underfueled compared to Mercedes. Although we might have been, we'll probably never find that out. It's just that with Lewis running in Vettel's uh, slipstream for large parts of the race, he didn't use as much fuel as Sebastian did. So that was the that was the thing. So Vettel was already having to save a little bit of fuel. So that's why Lewis was catching him, Vettel was pushing, he made a mistake, he went across the grass, he kept his foot in it. Uh, he didn't, you know, swerve away and recover safely and allow Lewis through because he's racing. And um, that was it. So I don't know, where, do, where do you want to start? You know, the, the fact that it was investigated in the first place? That's an interesting point.
0: It is. I mean, it, it is interesting. I suppose the way the, the investigation process works, isn't it, is that the the race director refers it to the stewards to decide. And maybe at that point they had nothing to do and wanted to investigate yes. it. I, I, it's, it is surprising. I mean, I, and that's what Ferrari is appealing as well. I suppose we should say this. Talk about them appealing is not so much the penalty, but the fact that it's being investigated in the first place. It's extremely divisive. I can see where the regulation is being applied to begin with. And I guess, in my opinion, you can't separate the chase Lewis Hamilton was applying to the end of the incident. It's one long incident of Hamilton applying pressure and Vettel breaking. So, from that perspective, I can kind of understand this penalty, I suppose maybe a bit too many seconds but i can kind of understand why hamilton should have been ahead at that point no
1: sure and 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 you know to, to be totally fair to the stewards and and i imagine that you know Emanuele pirro because i think he's the only one with a twitter account out <laughs> of the four people um is probably getting a bit of uh, a bit of stick um from from people but but strictly speaking you know, the stewards can't take into account what I referred to earlier as the bigger picture. So they can't take into account the fact that, you know, it would be good for Formula One if we uh, if we get a different winner. It would be good for the championship. And, you know, uh, this isn't exactly um, going to, you know, if, if it is a close call, it's probably not going to be too contentious In that it's probably not this decision probably isn't going to decide the world championship as I referred to earlier. So the stewards can't take into any of any of those bigger picture issues into account. That's up to the race director to have that in the back of his mind, use his experience, and think: Am I going to refer this or not? You know, or or do I think you know for the better um, image of Formula One using my experience? I'll you know I don't think I will. I, I think I'll note it. Uh, maybe i'll have a word with sebastian afterwards but i'll probably let this go now it is an open discussion as to whether charlie whiting would have let this go and whether michael massey in his first year first few months in the job you know was minded not to let it go i don't know i don't think any of us can know Mm -hmm. um would charlie have let it go well i'll tell you what Evidence would suggest that Charlie Whiting wouldn't have let it go, let it just go um, and would have done exactly the same as Michael Massey did because he didn't let it go when Max Verstappen yeah. pushed Kimi Raikkonen wide or didn't give Kimi Raikkonen the space. I think it was coming out, out of the, 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 the triangle chicane, the last mm-hmm. corner in Suzuka last year. Max rejoined the track and sort of pushed Kimi wide or didn't give Kimi the space. And Max got precisely the same uh, penalty that Lewis got. And that was what the stewards referred to when they were deciding which penalty to give. They said, okay, this, w- where." and then they've got a huge database. The way this works, the stewards have a massive database of, of you know, naughty stuff. They type into the, the, the database, you know, rejoining the track and not leaving a gap. It comes up, Suzuka 2018, Max and Kimi, they have a look at it and they say, mm, yeah, it was like that or it wasn't like that. That's the precedent. That's what we're going to give. So that's what would happen. So, you know, you can discuss whether you like, you know, whether Charlie would have referred to it before. The fact is, Charlie did refer something like that before. So, okay, maybe you can put that, uh, that you know, argument, was it over-regulation, maybe a nervousness on Michael Massey's part to do the right thing, uh, et etc. et cetera. You can put that to bed. Now, the other thing, was Massey prompted to investigate it or prompted it to refer it to the steward's? By the Mercedes team uh, was Mercedes prompted to do that by Lewis Hamilton being on the radio and having a little whinge about it? And they are open questions, aren't they? Because it is a fact we heard it that Lewis was on the radio and said, you know, hey, he pushed me wide. Uh, I, I don't, I can't remember if we actually heard the response, but they would have said yes, yes, we noted it, or you know, we're on to we're on to the FIA or whatever. Um, but in that case you know were they fishing for a penalty did that have a did that have an effect did that have a consequence and they are open questions what i said on tv on the weekend was that if they were it's something that happens all the Mm. time i mean all the time you know even roman grosjean when he got overtaken you know quite firmly but pretty fairly by sergio perez in the race uh, he got on and had a little whinge on the radio saying, oh, that was ridiculous, you know, he pushed me off, complained, complained, and maybe Has did complain. But maybe at that point, you know, Michael Massey thought, oh, do you know what, I think that's okay, I'm not going to refer to it. So that is the question, isn't it? Why did Michael Massey think, oh, I, I I don't think that's okay, I will refer that, and was there pressure from a big team like Mercedes, a big driver like Lewis Hamilton, who didn't think that was fair. And was Massey it, 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 um, influenced by that in thinking, well, if Lewis thinks it's a problem, if Mercedes thinks it's a problem, then I think it's a problem and I will refer it to the stewards. They are open
0: questions. It's such a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, isn't it? Because the context of this, and there there are... Precedential examples, as we talked about with Suzuka last year, Max Verstappen and Kimi Raikkonen, as one. And probably there are examples that you could argue where it wasn't referred. But this idea that comes up, I feel like it's come up a couple of times this season as well, that, you know, stewarding is not consistent or decisions are not consistent. Sure, the stewards panel itself is not consistent in the sense that it's rotating. So you could say that, well, even despite the system, the catalogue system they have, that different opinions are naturally going to find their way into the process, Mm. but... Surely the, the best way to find consistency is to ensure that decisions are made in the first place, I guess, because equally, I mean, who knows, I guess the incident itself was small enough that probably had no decision been made, no one would really have talked about it afterwards, yeah. uh, unless you know Lewis Hamilton was very upset at the end, being unable to find a way past, but... At least uh, we have a consistency in the sense that an incident by the definition of the regulations is at least investigated, even if the outcome is not exactly what made most people happy. No, definitely. I mean,
1: it was, you know, it, the, the consistency was there. It was absolutely there. I mean, you could mm. argue that, you know, Verstappen's on Kimmy was a little bit more calculated. I don't know. I mean, you could argue that maybe they took into account that, you know, Verstappen had been a bit naughty throughout 2018 and maybe that influenced it. I don't know, but uh, uh, you know, certainly um, Verstappen's one was, as I remember it, a little bit more deliberate in that he didn't go Mm. across the grass. He went across tarmac uh, runoff, having missed the chicane. He didn't have grass on his tires and he wasn't ostensibly trying to keep control of his car and Vettel was, and so I think if you were going to say that it's inconsistent, that would be the only thing you could pin it on, is to say that Verstappen there was obviously, or you could argue, it might be your opinion. <laughs> we have to be careful um, that you could say that you know Verstappen had the intention to uh, push Kimi wide to make sure that Kimi went off the track and he wouldn't attack him and and and, and take his place down into the Suzuka's first corner. I don't think Sebastian Vettel's intention was to push Lewis in or near the wall. It, the only intention that Seb had at the moment was making sure that he actually kept control of his car and carried on. Okay, it was convenient, because he kept his foot in, that he could keep Lewis behind, but I, I, I think the intention is important here. And I don't think it was a, a mean intention, but I might be reading a bit, too much into
0: that. What do you think? I don't, yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. I don't think there was any uh, malicious intention on Sebastian Vettel's part. Um, but I mean, again, I, for me, it comes back to that idea that he made a mistake because he was put under pressure, and then in recovering from his mistake, he—I I know it's a word that Sebastian Vettel doesn't like—but disadvantaged Lewis Hamilton as he was trying to pass him, inten- even if it's unintentional. And so, I can see why the balance of the situation, someone, a steward, might feel that it ought to be corrected even if it was not a malicious manoeuvre to run him out of road or run him against the barrier or yeah. or whatever. Um, I can see all of the like, criteria meeting those regulations there and I can see the the reasoning for it. Um, but hey, maybe you could argue a, a two-second penalty, which I think they would have the power to apply if I understand the regulations. It's just an open time penalty. Maybe that would have... Been a, a fairer call. It's hard to say, though. I mean, then you got to make that decision within a certain amount of time, and you know, there's arguments. Maybe they should decide them after the race, which I can understand, because then you can put cases. But then, you know, what happens with a podium, and it ends up being an even messier situation. So it's 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 a difficult one. It's a difficult one that's as much as it's you know made over several laps. It's still made fairly quickly, and you've someone's got to go with their instinct, I suppose.
1: Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, you're right. You know, you're right in. There's certainly one thing that's absolutely 100% correct is that Sebastian Vettel made another mm-hmm. mistake. Um, whether you want to add the add the words under pressure, you know, they're always mm-hmm. under pressure, but he did make another mistake. An understandable mistake? Yes, a bit more understandable perhaps than the one in Bahrain when he spun or Monza when he spun or Japan when he spun. Uh, or was it... Uh, Suzuka, wasn't it? Um, uh, sorry, uh, Spa. Um y- Yes a bit more understandable but I think what I re- what really comes down to it is just that it shouldn't have been you know someone should give Michael Massey maybe things other things to do during the race you know he's <laughs> just just you know oh well I was reading the paper you know oh yeah that seems fine you know I mean it's a, it, I said as a, as, a, as a fan the overregulation regulation at the moment is killing the sport and that's Certainly what Sebastian Vettel said afterwards. Mm-hmm. He feels exactly the same way. And to make sure that you don't have to put it to the stewards so that you're not forcing them to follow the, the, the precedent and do their jobs, which they did, you just don't refer it to them in the first place. You roll your eyes. You say, I think that was okay. And you fold your arms and you carry on watching the race because it's a good race. Yeah. And just let them do it.
0: It's a debate that will go on forever, especially on Twitter, where people are really getting completely out of control, in my opinion. Yeah. But uh, no, Formula One's not dead yet. It's okay. It'll be all right. We'll come back. You'll all be watching again in France, and it'll be fine. Um, and I, someone did race me, well, what happens if Mercedes wins all the races now? We're going to look back on this one, and it's going to be disappointing, but... I don't think this one would make a difference in that case. So I think we'll be okay. We'll all be fine. Uh, our podcasts can continue, I think, is what I'm saying. Uh, it, this, uh, the background, not of this incident itself, but we talked about the way that the tyres were being used in this situation, right? You know, Lewis Hamilton was finding great pace on those hards, even despite not himself running in practice. I guess some of that critic can go to Valtteri Bottas. Ferrari, though, had... Not not the kind of problems they've been having with their tyres over the last couple of races, but still had sort of a background of that. Even in qualifying, I think Sebastian Vettel mentioned that the the start of his laps were not quite as good as the end, because the tyre warm-up was still a bit of a problem. I thought it was interesting in Canada as well that there's this talk that some of the teams, including Ferrari and Red Bull Racing, have been trying to count the numbers among themselves to see if they can lobby for a mid-season compound change which would have a pretty dramatic effect on strategy and even just uh, the way teams approach weekends going forward given well, it'd be a change in the middle of the year i know
1: this is a great story i love this you know this is this comes under the category of uh, yeah good luck with that um so it's 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 a classic uh, Marco um idea in that uh, you know they are always him Christian Horner to a lesser extent I suppose you know Mattia Binotto but they're always looking at political ways that they can use to make their cars quicker whether it's a rule change a clarification on engine maps or anything like that if they're not winning they are thinking you know how sitting there scheming over a lunch somewhere or dinner mm-hmm. how can we disadvantage this team who is winning how can we stop them winning and they've come up with the idea of let's change the tires in the middle of a season not been done before except on a basis of either safety or you know we've got runaway tire blistering problems that we need to change you know god bless them for having a go at it <laughs> not going to happen but you know it, it is it is um I'm not sure how much the balance is between Red Bull pushing for this and Ferrari pushing for this. Obviously, it would advantage Ferrari. But, you know, people refer to, um, you know, oh, well, of course, you know, these these narrower, these thinner tyres, you know, last year they advantaged mercedes and this year they're advantaging mercedes well two things on that. first of all we had these thinner tires at silverstone and sebastian bettel in a ferrari won silverstone yeah. let's not forget and second of all and i checked this with mario isola from pirelli all the teams had these precise compound construction and thinner tires in the abu dhabi test at the end of last year they all tried them they all knew what was going to happen yes it was last year's cars not these years cars this year's cars but if they didn't get it right They've only got themselves to blame. And the weird thing is, there's a sort of, imagine a a sort of two paths of a graph. Um, One, you know, team by team, they were always making, over the winter, they thought, well, we always want to try and make our car easier on its tyres because, you know, that tends to be the way you can win races by doing fewer stops, being kinder on your tyres. And the progress of that, you know, went up and the graph on that went up. If you imagine a, a line a graph went up and at the same time Pirelli were working on well we must try and make our car, our tires less sensitive so that the teams don't need to look after our tires so much you know our tires so much and that you know level of sensitivity went from a high point to a low point on the same graph and you know there's a point in the middle when they cross and i think mercedes are in that point in the middle of the cross but red bull and ferrari have made cars that are much easier on their tires than mercedes and it's hurting them and it's made you know it's their it's worked against them rather than for them and i think that's the frustrating thing from certainly Horner and Marco's point of view, and I suppose for Benotto's point of view as well, as well, it's like, look, Pirelli, you know, we did our bit. We thought we were doing what's right. And you go and bring this tyre now that, that that you absolutely have to you know, Muller like a crazy thing to get it to work. And even a place like Baku, they're they're dropping off and freezing off and becoming stone cold. So we needn't have bothered trying to make our cars easy on your tyres because now you've got to make the tyres, you know, need to be work hard to actually get in their temperature windows. I can understand their frustration. I think that's where it comes from, trying to get this rule change. But yeah, it's not going to
0: happen. I would hate to be Mario Isola to be confronted by Gunther Steiner at this point in the season, to be honest, because surely he would be in in the change camp.
1: Although Gunther Steiner has got his own human resources <laughs> issues to uh, uh to deal with hasn't he and uh, in kevin magnuson who was you know who was a bit naughty he got a bit of a talking to after mm. barcelona didn't he yes. um i think uh gunter was a was a little bit on roman's side even though as anybody who's not watched the netflix um, show goes uh knows you know gunter can uh has referred to roman as a winger before um i think when when roman complained about Kevin in uh, the Spanish Grand Prix. Gunther was very much on on Grosjean's side. Uh, and then again, with the brilliant radio message, I have never, ever driven such an awful car. Had such a terrible experience. Can't remember what it was, word for word. And uh, he got a very pretty strong... You know, I mean, it wasn't the "shut shut up" that he said to Grosjean once, to Steiner, but it was something something close to that. But uh, yeah, that was good stuff. So yeah, maybe uh, maybe Steiner's got his own his own issues to uh, rather than chasing down the poor put upon Mario Zola, who I do feel a bit sorry for. But I tell you what, having spoken to him, he is putting up a pretty strong defence of
0: his time. Mm. Uh, there are a couple of other drivers worth speaking about in this field who didn't crash into one another or nearly crash into one another, who weren't penalised. Let's put it that way. Um, we've talked a little bit about Charles Leclerc, who's just a little bit off the pace, ran pretty much the same strategy. But Valtteri Bottas, in what we could term the beginning of a segment called disappointment corner or something similar is uh was i mean he got stuck behind renault's which there's two different ways to approach this i suppose the first being that in a mercedes he really should have gotten past some renault cars the second was that this really illustrates how good a race renault has finally had seven rounds into the season uh not had any technical problems except when nico halkenberg i think briefly thought his gearbox was about to explode but it didn't so that's okay. Um, he was one driver who, I mean, if we're talking about the championship staying alive, this was a, a poor round for that kind of optimism.
1: It was. Two things here. First of all, um, well done, Renault, for... Uh, you remember the power unit problems they had earlier in the year, and they did have to turn the engines down. They have now turned them up again, and they are A, powerful, and B, reliable. So well done, Renault. That's that's good stuff. Um, and, uh, and, and B, it's all down to qualifying. That mistake that Valtteri Bottas made that put him uh, well down the grid and having to deal with you know, Daniel Ricciardo and, and thanks to a good start, Nika Hülkenberg. Um, that meant he was in dirty air, that meant his engine started to overheat, and that meant a slower pit stop while they pulled off two little um, strips on the cooling uh, vents either side of his the halo head protection, um, which they can just pull off. It's a quick... Change to the car's cooling, which is a is, it's a nice idea. It's on both Mercedes, and they did need to activate that. Pull off those little tear off strips to give extra cooling to Bottas's power unit, which was overheating, uh, stuck behind Hulkenberg, uh, I think it was. So, um, and the fact Hulkenberg went, you know, much further on his soft tyres than Mercedes ever thought they were going to. And of course, Bottas got through Q two on the medium tyre, didn't he? So he was gonna, always going to have a longer stint. Uh, but Renault really did stitch up Bottas's race quite quite significantly. Um, but I don't know, is it silver lining that he got one point, an extra point for the fastest lap?
0: I mean, he'd have to look at it like that, I suppose, because there wasn't much else to get too excited about uh, this round for Valtteri Bottas. I mean, they said that, or Toto Wolf said that You know, Monaco would be a little bit of a a wake-up call, and and Spain as well, and uh, now Valtteri Bottas is saying this is a wake-up call of a round. We certainly need him to wake up if he's indeed not yet awake, because... Uh, he's, we're relying on him, really, at this point, to turn this championship into a bit of competition. But, I mean, if Valtteri was disappointed this round, um, peak disappointment, I guess, really goes to Pierre Gasly. Talk about getting stuck behind not just the Renaults, but even uh, the racing point of Lance Stroll. Stroll had a good race, we'll mention it in a moment, but this was a big... Opportunity for Pierre because started ahead of Max Verstappen, out qualified him. Yes, Verstappen had the the problem in Q2 because of Kevin Magnussen's crash, yeah. but nonetheless. And instead, what essentially happened was that they reversed positions. Verstappen finished fifth uh, when Gasly qualified fifth, and, and Gasly dropped down to eighth when Verstappen started ninth. I, look, they dismissed rumors that Gasly was under pressure, some more spurious rumors, I guess we could call them, but. This is not really helping anybody trying to dispel them. I guess he's definitely under pressure um, in terms of
1: putting in some results. I'm not sure if he's under pressure in terms of his drive, because who will they replace him Mm. with? The talk was maybe Nika Hulkenberg, all right, maybe. I mean, that's a bit of a long shot. Um, Alex Albin is not ready to step up from Toro Rosso uh, by his own admission. And Danny Kviat is probably not willing um, <laughs> because that didn't work out too well the last time. Although they might, you know, think, OK, well, last, you know, third time's a charm. And <laughs> if you can get over having um, us having sacked you before, then, uh, you know, Danny will give it another go. But he might do because he's a very much a different driver now, Danny, Danny Kviat than he was uh, when he was, his services were dispensed with by Red Bull Racing um, first time around. But such is the just the the pit lane and the other teams' low esteem of Gasly's performances that they think that he's easy meat. So, you know, I checked this with Renault afterwards, and they said, "Look, you know, we knew we could get Gasly." I was like, "Hey, eh? how did you know you could get Gasly?" Uh, and I said, "Well, hang on, did you think you, did you think did you think you'd be able to?" Get get a finish ahead of Verstappen. They were like, "Oh no, no! We knew Verstappen was going to pass us. Why are well, they in an identical cars and Verstappen starting behind you? You know, how did you know that?" But I mean, that's absolutely how they think. You know, the other teams are relentless indiscriminate you know they are horrible horrible if a driver isn't having you know a particularly fine season they are just ready to take advantage of that and that's kind of what happened with um with Pierre Gasly you know and we haven't seen really yet have we a fighting drive from him he's had some decent results he scores some decent points but they've largely been unchallenged haven't they you know when other people around him have had have had bad weekends and now we have both Renaults having a good weekend and then Gasly gets beaten by them so um yeah not great not great.
0: Compared of course with his teammate Max Verstappen which is in general a difficult comparison when you're up against a driver so quick but in specifically the case of this race Verstappen did have well I suppose the better strategy considering where he started from anyway starting on the hard tyre running quite long stopping on lap 48 and that delivered him past the Renaults. Uh, he had to pass them in the end, but he did that very quickly. It was not even a battle worth speaking about. Uh, it, but this strategy proved to be the correct one for anyone starting further back, as Lance Stroll, I think, proved to the greatest effect. Started all the way down in 17th and scored a couple of points, not even just one. Relied on a, a pass on Carlos Sainz at the end as Sainz was running out of tyres, having stopped uh, only on lap three or, or very early yeah. in the race. Uh but nonetheless, this was a very strong result from Lance Stroll after his 11th consecutive Q1 elimination and showed that there is something in that car that is worth racing for, even if they're not really extracting it consistently.
1: There was. It was great stuff from Lance Stroll. And he can put in these uh, fantastic performances um, on on his day. I like to think he was well motivated by the Lance Stroll grandstand. And you know what this is. Um, so I don't know if you know, the, uh, for people who don't know the geography of the... Uh, the uh, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve on the Ile-Notre-Dame in uh, Montreal. Um, It's horrible to get around by car because it's just one long sort of strip of land. Um, And so you have to, when you come in, if you're parking in the paddock, which is the other side of the rowing lake, you have to go in past the grandstands on the left-hand side of the, um, the casino hairpin, and then it comes round... And you go onto the the, the sort of towpath, which is on the right-hand side of the casino grandstand. And that is where, if you look out the right-hand side of your car, as every paddock person does, if you're driving to the car park, you see the Lance Stroll grandstand. And it's huge! <laughs> and the signage on it was huge and it's this big thing you know it said Lance Stroll and it had his LS logo on it and it's massive and i thought as i was passing it on sunday morning you know what a motivating factor that must be um to drive past it and see your name on these massive grandstands um and i i like to think that he got fired up uh, on Sunday morning, he came in, he said, you know what, they've built this, they've had these signs made, you know, this awning, they've put on the back of this uh, this temporary grandstand, all the scaffolding, you know, I'm going to deliver for them. And um, I'm sure the people who bought a ticket in the Lance Stroll Stor- Stor- Grandstand probably didn't know that. And, <laughs> but they, you know, if they're Canadian, they're, they're proud of their sportsmen, they'll be happy if I do a good race as well. But all go- all credit to them. Good strategy as well. I think they were sort of fishing for a safety car uh, later in the race. And starting on the hard tyres would allow them to do that, um, to keep their window open as long as possible and maybe profit from a a cheap pit stop under a safety car. But in the end, they didn't need it, did they? They did not need it. Um, And he managed to get um, Carlos Sainz, as you say, one of the two victims of the uh, Phantom uh, helmet, crash helmet Mm. visor tear-off. uh uh, sprayer who was this person (laughs) who was depositing helmet visor tear-offs that got stuck in both Kimi Raikkonen's rear caliper brake caliper and Carlos Sainz's rear brake caliper you know what (laughs) who was this and what are the chances of these things getting stuck there I mean Kimi does tend to tear his off at pit stops and I think um sometimes i i think i i found I, I remember that they found it was one of his <laughs> because it had a finished flag on the on the side i was seem to remember there was some radio message i think it was to kimmy or it might have been to another driver says yes we had to stop you again because you had no over- overheating brake duct uh because of a visor in there the visor the visor tear off was yours try and dispose of it you know in a better way or keep it in you know the glove box in your in the in the cockpit <laughs> of the car not that there is a glove box i know that but um uh yeah i mean that was almost going to be a rule do you remember last year i think it was there was going to be a rule that forbids drivers to throw out driver uh helmet tear-off strips outside the car and people were going to have to you know uh, the the race suit manufacturers were looking at making a little <laughs> pocket on the top of the um top of the leg by the knee where the driver could tear off his uh, his his visor tear off strip um and then tuck it in this little pocket in a sort of easily accessible place on his leg um but in the end that rule didn't come in I wonder if they'll vi- revisit that uh, after uh, Saints and uh, and Reichland's races were 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 ruined by the phantom helmet visor tear off <laughs> Distributor.
0: Not even the first time. I'm pretty sure Kimi Raikkonen had the same problem in Australia from memory. And that completely decided the midfield battle. So what are the chances of it happening twice to the same driver in one season? Well,
1: maybe it was. Maybe it was his own. (laughs) Maybe it was his own. Maybe
0: it's a strategy. Who knows? Maybe it's part of his approach to racing. Mm. It's difficult to say. So in the end, Carlos Sainz lost some places because he ran such a long stint. It was ambitious. It almost worked. Had it not been for maybe three laps. It only had happened a couple of laps later because he changed on lap three. Had to run. 67 if my maths is correct. Yep, it's on that hard tire yep. and it really just sort of started giving up in those last three laps and he got passed not only by Stroll but then by Daniel Kvyat yep. uh, who who took the final point of the race. Um and just by way of comparison we talk about Lance Stroll having the correct strategy Sergio Perez had I guess the opposite. He started ahead, much like uh, Gasly started ahead of Verstappen and they swapped. Perez started ahead, but stopped on only lap 11 off the medium onto the hards and couldn't really make too much of it after that. And I suppose that really showed which direction the the very warm Montreal weather was pushing the tyre strategy in. Um, Early stops were not really rewarded, unless you were a Renault driver.
1: Yeah, I kind of was a bit baffled by Checo Perez's... uh, performance given that he's you know historically been very strong round here i did later find out that he had flat spotted those tires and had a pretty serious vibration um and had to had to really slow down because of that so um i did find otmar zafnauer in the paddock afterwards who was a little bit disappointed that uh sergio P- perez couldn't couldn't make um, a bit more of it. But, yeah, well done, Danny Kvyat. Um, You know, saved a point for, for Toro Rosso at a race where they thought they weren't going to, uh, uh, to get any and um, made it, well, three of the four Honda Power cars scored points, and the only one that didn't conked out because they wanted to save some engine mileage after, you know, the clash, uh, the pinch, the Albon pinch mm. um, on the first lap when he was pinched between Giovinazzi and... Um, I think it was Perez. I think Perez and Giovinazzi uh, pinched Albon, and and poor Alex uh, lost his uh, lost his nose cone. But uh, you know that just underlines. And sometimes we, I, don't, I don't think it, we we make enough of the Honda, you mm. know, engine turnaround. You know, at an engine track that we had Verstappen in the points, Gasly in the points, you know, Fiat in the points. I'm not sure they're getting enough credit. Maybe it's because people think, well, you should have been doing this a long time ago. you know. But they weren't. And they were so woeful for so long um, that um, it just underlines what a good job they've done now.
0: Absolutely. And uh, that'll presumably only continue to improve throughout the year. And we'll have another assessment at Monza, I suppose. Both Honda and Renault looking more or less on par as predicted and... Not so far, not a million miles away from the front front anymore, which is of course good for Formula One. Uh was this race good for Formula One? Hey, it got everyone talking on Twitter, even if they're all talking about how they're never gonna watch another race again. I don't believe them.
1: Well, do you know what I'm I'm not I have conflicted. I am not sure I agree with you. I think there will be some people who are genuinely put off. Um just in this concept of, of you know, in this health and safety mad uh world that we live in and and your home country um you know being 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 part of it um the uh, the concept of mateship seems to have <laughs> slightly gone out the window in australia as you know the health uh, health and safety mad although um i wish there would be a little bit more um security uh, conscious certainly in your inner cities the um the uh the inability of anybody to leave a uh, a locked pedal bike to a uh, a bike rack in melbourne town centre is completely impossible such as the the spate of bike thieves uh the problem that you've got in melbourne um which uh, unfortunately i was affected by so uh, yeah um it, i think if uh, if they can just ease it off a bit don't have such strong regulation In Formula One it it would be the better for the sport because anyone is going to get put off I wouldn't want anyone to get put off by this Um, over-regulation and maybe that's a sign and I think maybe we will have a positive outcome consequence of this that maybe people will think maybe Michael Massey will think I won't refer these things in the future and we'll get a bit more light regulation.
0: We'll see how that pans out. We've got a couple more races, of course, till we really hit that run of European Grand Prix in the mid-season break. Maybe that'll end up being a time for One to reflect. Uh, But hey, we look forward to the next race nonetheless. Uh, But thank you so much, Ted Kravitz, for joining us to look back on certainly an interesting Canadian Grand Prix.
1: Yep, no problem. Enjoyed it. Thanks.
0: That was Ted Kravitz from Sky Sports F1 and F1 TV. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Play it for free on iOS and Android devices. You can get every episode of The Strategy Report by subscribing on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favourite podcasting app, and all of your socials. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a rating and a review to help more F1 fans find the show. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast, and if you're looking for a less serious look back at the Canadian Grand Prix after all of that analysis, have a search for Box of Neutrals in your podcasting app of choice to hear Rob James and I implore the Twitter world to stay calm. After all, it's just a race. I've been Michael Laminato. Look me up at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you in two weeks' time for an analysis of the French Grand Prix.